welcome back. Episode number 63 of the New York Pages podcast in partnership with Inside the Ring. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside my co-host, Brennan Luca. And today, we are honored to have on Rangers legend, Neil Smith, the GM from 89 to 2000, and the architect behind the 1994 Rangers Stanley Cup winning team. Prior to that, he was also the Detroit scout who found Nicholas Lidstrom and changed the whole course of Red Wings history. We're going to be discussing that, the GM's perspective, some behind the scenes and more. Let's get to it. All right. Our guest this week needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He was drafted by the New York Islanders in 1974, but we're not going to hold that against him. Uh, he quickly transitioned into scouting and then was the man responsible for the Detroit Red Wings selecting Nick Lidstrom. After winning two Calder Cups as the GM of the Adirondack Red Wings, he was hired as the Rangers general manager in 1989 and would go on to be the architect of the only Stanley Cup winning team in the franchise's last 82 years. It's an honor to bring on New York Rangers legend, Neil Smith. Neil, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good to be on and uh, see a lot of Ranger fans. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it it's, is, a, it's, it's, a great, it's a great day, too. Oh. Yeah, it's an absolute honor as a lifelong Rangers fan, uh, talking with the architect of the, of the only Stanley Cup that I've got to you know see in my lifetime. And it is a true honor. But uh, we have a lot of questions to get, to get into here and want to get right into it. Um, my first one for you is uh, with trade day, day blend day rapidly approaching here. One of the things I always wanted to know is how frantic is that last day? Is it like that scene in Moneyball where it's just constant calls back and forth at a hectic pace, or is it a little more measured because it's a known quantity from previous talks and negotiations? I, I think it's a, a little bit of the latter today than it used to be in my day, meaning that I think that it's pretty measured. I think that uh, guys know what they want, what they've got room to get under the cap. Um, they've already talked to the other managers. Um, so I think it's pretty measured. Uh, in my day, it was pretty frantic back and forth. Uh, remember, too, that trade deadline day was later when I was GM than it is today. So it's, um, you know, it, it, we, we only had 12 games to go in 94 when trade deadline came up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So if you look at the stats for 93-94, you'll see that Matto, Noonan, and Anderson and McTavish, they only played 12 regular season games. So um, and th so that that falls into it too, because think about it. If you've only got 12 games to assimilate to a new team, it's a lot different guy than you're gonna get than if you need if you've got 25 games or whatever it is today um, to, to, to get into the thing. So it's, I think it's pretty measured now. And I think the reason that um, you can see that it's pretty measured is the fact that people are making trades earlier than just on the deadline day. You know, they're not waiting till yeah. the last minute. I used to describe um, trade deadline as, you know, the night before Christmas where everybody runs to the store and buys those last few gifts they need for somebody or yeah. you know, runs out and gets their wife the gift they hadn't got yet. Um, and, and they're running to the store and, and they're quickly buying everything. Uh, that was what it was like in my day. Cause you know, you waited till the last minute and you also wanted to wait until to see where we going to make the playoffs or were we not going to make the playoffs. And that came a lot later too, because think about 16 teams out of 21 uh, uh, making the playoffs rather than out of 32. Uh, that's a huge difference. So um, 
I don't think today it's nearly as frantic as it was in my day. I mean, it's, for example, let's take an example of current situation. St. Louis has already thrown in the towel on this season. You know, and they only won the cup in 19, in, in 2019. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're not waiting till the trade deadline to figure out whether they're going to make it or not. They've already decided, you know, 50 something games into the season, right? Aren't we, how far in are we? 50, what? 56, 55, around yeah. there. So you've still got uh, 27 games to go if you've played 55. So you've got double, you know, two and a half times the amount of games left that we had left um, at our deadline. I feel like Connor Bedard plays into a team like St. Louis giving up this early, possibly. I, I don't know. But I, I mean, with his like generational talent, that, does that, do you think, play into it at all? I think a little bit, although, you know, I'm a, you know, an odds guy, you know, the odds are you're not going to get them. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't personally, um, I, I still think that the worst team should get the best player, mm -hmm. but because everybody thinks that, for example, you'd try to be the worst team if you were, if there was a guy like, uh, like him, Bedard available, um, then they've had to go to this uh, lottery. Um, and I think what that has caused is some teams to say, okay, well, if, if that's the way it's going to be, I won't tank games. I'll tank the season. I'll just do what, uh, you know, for example, Chicago is trying to be bad yeah. so that they've got a chance at rebuilding because they know you can't rebuild without great draft picks. Um and so I think a number of teams are, are, you know, turned to that philosophy of, okay, we know we're going to be bad for a couple of years and we'll just, uh, we'll just bear with it. I think Montreal is probably doing the same thing now that they know that they're not the Stanley cup finals team that they were two years ago, which right. they really weren't, they really weren't at that point either. They just yeah. you know, happened to be a Cinderella that showed up. Yeah, well, and, and price, you know, that was the big thing there. Yeah, exactly. Without no, price, they're probably not getting out of the first round that year. Yeah, well, and I'm not sure that they should have gotten out even with price. Remember, they played Toronto, wasn't it, in the first round? Didn't they knock? Yeah, they knocked yeah. Toronto out in the first round. And that was a real mismatch. Um, and then they went on to do other, you know, good things too, obviously, to get themselves to the finals. But that was also in a season when, you know, they only played the Canadian teams. Yeah. So. Very different. different. And very different, too, with the conference realignment, too, for the playoff run that they had, too. They got to avoid some people on their path as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So what, I, what I've what i always wanted to know, like, uh, as a GM, like, do you have, if let's say you want this specific player at the trade deadline, but then you have a backup one, backup two, backup three, backup four player, like how many, like, obviously it's not going to be the same amount of backups every time, but like, is there a substantial amount of backups? How, like, you know, how do you plan that? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's a good question. Like, uh, you know, you, I think, I think you, you know, you're, you're scouring all season long, you're, you're talking all season. And so, you know, who may become available. And you're also, uh, 
fielding questions about your own players all season, so you know who uh, people are interested in. And um, I think that you know you've got your own um, your own needs that you need to fill, um, and and so you're constantly looking for that. There's not really a case where you're going to say, um, okay, if Edmonton won't trade me McTavish, then I'll go get, you know, Jones from Team X. Like, it's sort of, you know, you have your sights set on somebody who would fit what you need. And if you can't get them, um, you're sort of like, okay, I got to stick with what I've got. Now, that's in the situation we were in. If you're a team that's obviously what they call today the sellers and the buyers, mm -hmm. it's actually like that my last few years. Um, if you're a seller, you're you're out there trying to say, you know, you're dangling three or four players out to the rest of the league and saying, what will you give me? What will you give me? And you're going to hold on to them until you get the best thing possible. Um, if you're a if you're a buyer, you're going to say, um, you know, I want to get one of uh, these two or three guys, because I think they're going to miss the playoffs and they might be available. So it, it could be, um, you know, two or three players you've got your sights set on that are on what you think would be non-playoff teams. And so therefore you're talking to those GMs all the time to see if, if there's a way to, to get one of those guys. Got it. So like the deals you made, like everyone knows, like the famous 1994 deadline set us up for that cup run. Were majority of those talks like you had for like a few months to get the feel of things or were they like, like uh, very quick? Well, McTavish, I'd been, I'd been talking to Sather about him for a long time. I don't know exactly how long, but months. I know that. Um, the Noonan and, and Matto, trade I talked to Pulford about um, Amante and Matto several times but I wouldn't do it until he gave me more than Stefan Matto um, and that's how we got Brian Noonan wow. and then on the um, Glenn Anderson trade uh, that really happened at the last minute that was something that um, happened right right at the end I mean I it was uh, it, it was um, that was one where Keenan was forcing my hand on it because he said that he wouldn't play Gardner. It, it, you know, he, he, he didn't want him and he wasn't going to play him. If, and I'm like, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I called uh, Cliff Fletcher and, and, you know, I, I made up that, that deal by saying, you know, what about Anderson for Gartner? Knowing that Anderson would fit in with Mess and fit in with the other guys, and he had a lot of playoff experience, obviously. And um, I felt that was reasonable. That those were that was a reasonable switch from Gartner to Anderson, even though if it had been just left to me and um, nothing had been said, I wouldn't have traded Mike Gartner. I would have kept him. Um, but, you know, so you have to, when you're the GM, you're not going to, um, uh, you want to take away all the coach's excuses. So, you know, for example, if he says he doesn't like a guy and I, I, I'm not going to play him and this and that. And I don't. Now, if you say, well, too bad, you know, you, you're stuck with him. Now, when you lose in the second round, his excuse was, well, I didn't have the players I needed. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So um, when particularly a guy like Keenan would be like that, um, you know, if uh, you, you really don't want to leave a team, a team that, you know, is a president's trophy team uh, that you think has a real shot to win. You, you want to take away every excuse why they, uh, you know, don't win. Uh, you know, you want to, in my mind, I wanted to say like, I gave you everything you wanted and, you know, so it's all up to you guys now. Right. Uh, I also, I'm struggling to understand why a coach wouldn't like Mike Gardner. That just kind of blows my mind, but that actually leads into a question that I had for you uh, about Keenan and him uh, benching, especially Brian Leach several times in that 93, 94 season. And then even in the Eastern conference finals, did you have any strong feelings about that? Did you have any discussions with him about that? Um, Cause it, it was, I, I, I can't remember if I just discussed it with with Keenan. Um, I'm sure I I'm sure I did discuss it. I mean, I, I mentioned it to several people. I was livid after that game four in New Jersey. Was it game four when he benched all those guys and he pulled Richter? Yep. Yeah. I was livid because to me, he just he just gave up and threw the game away. And uh, I was really livid about that. And I, like just out of my mind uh, because we came home then um, to, to game five. And um, I forget what was the series at then two, two. And then they won game five. Right. And then we could have lost out in game six. Yep. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it was, yeah. I, I mean, Brian Leach was a, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, like, I don't know how you couldn't love Brian Leach as a player. I mean, he's a, he's a, I, I, I've actually told him and I, I think, I think of any player in my uh, mind that, that was from the um, sort of modern era, not the era of Lester Patrick and Frank Boucher and all those guys. But if you had to say there was one player that was the ultimate Ranger, like the ultimate new Mr. New York Ranger guy, if I, if I said who it was, I'd say it was Brian Leach. And here's the reasons. First of all, he was one of the best players to ever play for the Rangers. If it's arguable that he could have been the best player, you know, but that's a good argument from, from a lot of different standpoints. But the second thing is, is that he's American He's from basically almost the New York area. He grew up in Connecticut, I think it was. And, and you know, he was mm-hmm. born in Texas. He played there his whole career. He came from the, the American, the U.S. Olympic team to the Rangers. He he wore a shield his entire career when back in 1988, a lot of guys wouldn't, you know, that was sort of taboo to wear a shield and he didn't care. He was wearing one like he like like a lot of American players did, to be honest with you. It was a, and so to me, like if I think of the ultimate US player, it's Brian Leach. So the ultimate ranger in my mind should be Brian Leach. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's the way I've always looked at him. And I've told him before, if it were up to me and I had still been there, unfortunately I wasn't. He never would have been traded. There's no chance Graves and him and Richter, but Richter didn't get traded. He he lost, his career went down with a concussion. But those were guys that you never trade those guys. Like, I mean, you know, we every um 
franchise uh, that's had success has three or four iconic players and and I don't think you can take those away from the fans and in my era anyways in my era maybe today you you don't trade those iconic guys unless they want to get traded at the end of their career like Henrik I mean he he wanted to keep playing so they mm -hmm. end up you know he ends up in Washington for that year um, or month or whatever it was but I think that um and today, iconic players do ask to get traded at the end of their career, like Ray Bork, and then they come back and still get their number retired back with the team. Uh, Zidane Chera uh, played on, on Washington and then on the Islanders and then came back. And so, I mean, that is that is there today. It wasn't there so much in those days. But uh, to see Brian Leach, um, you know, play in Toronto and then in Boston, I mean, it just it just shouldn't have been. But you know, I had no say in it, so that that's uh, uh, the way it is. But that's how I feel about Brian Leach. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, yeah, Brian Leach is one of the best defensemen of all time, and it was a joy watching him. I mean, he was just good at every aspect of the game, too. He wasn't just an offensive, talented defenseman that didn't play well on his own, own end, like coffee and whatnot, but he was in both ends. Like, you know, Bobby Orr kind of mold uh, in, my, in my mind. Uh, speaking about the uh, the relationship between GM and a coach, um obviously the official decisions rest with the coach on the day-to-day -day decisions but how much collaboration is there both in your experience or in experience that you're aware of uh between you know game decisions and, and lineups and strategy and thing like that well if, if, for me there i i uh i was uh, i i was sort of um a student of bill tory since mm -hmm. that's where i started and Bill was a was a true GM and not not a coach and and let Al Arbor make all the coaching decisions and I'm sure they discussed it during the day um and I'm sure he might ask for Bill's opinion on what he was going to do um and you know when for example when I had Colin Campbell as a coach who I, I think did an excellent job the years that he coached for us um you know there was quite a bit of conversation between me and him every day about everything but it was never that I would say to him, hey, I'd really like you to start Healy tonight or I'd really like you to, you know, give more ice time to this one or that one or try this guy on the power player. That wasn't my style at all. I didn't ever get into that. I think there are GMs in the league and particularly those that see themselves as a coach um, who who get involved heavily with the game strategy um, and uh, you know, I just don't know how that works. I I, I don't think that the um, the Stanley Cup successful teams uh, do that. I, I can't imagine that uh, during Chicago's three cups that uh, Stan Bowman was down telling Kenville what to do and co how to coach. And I can't imagine that, uh, you know, uh, uh, in Tampa that uh, Junior Brisebois is telling uh, Cooper how to, how to coach or um, or things like that, or Barry Trotz coaching Washington. I, I can't imagine that uh, McClellan was telling him anything about coaching. So I think to be successful, you have to have your roles defined and, and you've got to stick to those roles. And um, you're right, ultimately the coach is responsible. Ultimately the GM's responsible for who the coach is. So it's the GM who sets the um, tone of how the roles will be. If, if you're not going to hire um, 
a coach, a strong Barry Trotz type coach, and then start interfering with him. You know, you may hire, yeah. um, you know, uh, a David Quinn, say a new guy, like David Quinn was, uh, he's not anymore a new guy, but, and you may, you know, if you're the, if you're the type that wants to get into the coaching, then hire a guy that, you know, is, is just thankful to have the job. Right. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. What was the most absurd trade-off for you received? Did anyone ever try and like trade leech or trade for leech or something? You're just like, you just hang up the phone immediately. No, I, I, you know what? I thought of that uh, before I was a GM. I thought maybe those things happen. I, I, um, I think more absurd things came from agents than from the coaches mm. or from the other GMs. I don't think the other, the other GMs are pretty respectful, but you'll get agents that'll say, um, you know, I used to say to people, yeah, I know, I know your guy is Mario Lemieux. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, he's on the third line, but he's Mario Lemieux really um, in, in, you know, in uh, costume. Um, you know, I got more absurdities from them uh, than um, than ever from the the GMs. So like you'd get a, you know, like uh, you'd you'd have an uh, an agent even call you up and say, "Why don't you try trading for my guy?" And you'd be like, "Because uh, I doubt that they'd ever trade him." Or, uh, well, why wouldn't you give them this guy and that guy? And, you know, maybe they would. And I mean, like, you know, you're wasting my time on this call now because I'm not going to do that. And it's absurd. So, but I never really had anybody say to me, you know, would you take this flunky for your, you know, one of your best players? I never had that like that. I don't think you get to that level if you're, if you're dumb enough to, to do something like that. Right, right. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you know, there's a saying that sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. Was there ever a trade you almost made but didn't happen for whatever reason? If so, obviously, maybe you can say it, maybe you can't, but what was it? No, I, I mean, there, <clears throat> there was some um, some best trades are that uh, um, are the trades that there's, there's two ways to look at it. There's saying, um, thank God I didn't do that. I was really going to mm -hmm. do that. Thank God I didn't do it. Um, and then there's, um, I wish I hadn't listened to the coach and I wish I would have gone with my own guts and done it. And there was one of those that I can tell you about. I've told other people this was Adam Oates was, uh, available from St. Louis. Ronnie Cron was a very, uh, emotional, um, uh, trigger happy type of guy, GM and, he was something had gone wrong with Adam Oates in St. Louis and he wanted to trade him right away. And um, I worked on this thing and I had a, a deal. There was a defenseman named Paul Cavallini. I don't know if you remember that guy, but it doesn't really matter. And he was going to trade me Adam Oates and Paul Cavallini for Darren Turcott and James Patrick. Wow. That's a blockbuster trade. Yeah. And this was in, you know, Roger Nielsen was there and Messier was already there. Um, I mean, you can look up the timing because the timing would have been right before he got traded to Boston for Craig Janney. I think there was that trade. I think I can't remember. Um, uh, I mean, it would have given us another Hall of Fame center, but Roger didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. 
He didn't he didn't know Adam Oates enough. He didn't want he was very attached to Turcotte. And um, and you know what? Like, okay, so that's the truth. That's the way that went. But Steve Larmer was a huge part of the Rangers Cup, right? Yeah. We would have never <laughs> had Steve Larmer if we didn't have Turcotte and Patrick to give to Hartford for, right. for Larmer. So, you know, it all it all works out in the end. That's one of the ones that you know, you wish you would have done. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I had people. I had to, I had a call about Patrick Waugh when he was traded to um, Colorado, but I had Mike Richter already. So, and then we'd already won the cup. Like this wasn't he. Tra- he was traded in the ninety-five, ninety-six season, and we had Mike Richter. So I, yeah. I mean, there was no way I could trade for Patrick Waugh, and I told that to Montreal. Um, I had uh, Timo Solani. I had talks with um, uh, Winnipeg about him, but there was no match there to do that. There was no, um, there was no match. Of course, you guys know that I had all that Lindros talk um, back then, and uh, that that didn't work out. But again, as I told people. Um, you know, somebody could write if they're, you know, somebody in the uh, New York Post once wrote, well, if you'd gotten Lindros, you might have won multiple cups. And my answer was, yeah, we might not have won one. Right. I'll take the one. Mm. And, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush type thing. Sure. So, yeah, there there was, there were probably others, um, but there was... Uh, I mean, there was never a time when I even entertained a discussion of trading those four guys, Messier, Graves, Leach, and Richter. Now, you might ask right away, well, you let Messier go. Well, no, I didn't let him go. He left. So it wasn't um, – I never traded him. I never, I never said I wouldn't sign him. I tried to sign him. Um, the owners didn't want to pay what he wanted. And he went and got it somewhere else. Um, if I had had my way, and I told him this, he never would have left ever. Uh, but you know, I, again, I can only control what I can control. Gotcha. So, regarding Lindros, how how close were you to actually getting him? Oh, I think we were right there. I mean, I think that um, I think had Philadelphia not put up such such a uh, stink about it because they felt they had a deal done. Um, and, and had they done what was really done in those days, which was, okay, you screwed me, but there's nothing I can do about it. So that's what they could have said to Quebec, right? You screwed me. You told me you'd trade him to me and now you've traded him to the Rangers, but there's nothing I can do about it. Then we would have had him and we would have, and again, who knows what 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 we would have had then if if we'd gotten him and and we would have lost all those other players. Um, but we were we were right there to get him. the The arbitration was, in fact, to decide whether or not Quebec had made a legitimate trade with Philadelphia, and if they had, then he then then they had to consummate it. If they hadn't made a legitimate trade then they were free to trade him wherever they wanted, which would have been to us. So that's what a lot of people don't understand that arbitration wasn't to decide 
does he go to the Rangers or does he go to Philly? It was, did Philly make a legitimate trade? And if they did, then the trade should be consummated. Wow. Wow. So speaking of all-time great defensemen, when you were a scout for Detroit, uh, you found a gem, Nicholas Lindstrom, who changed the course of Red Wings history. What did you see in him that no one did and managed to draft him in the third round? Well, there's a couple of things you have to know before about that year. So in 1989, um, you could only draft 18-year-olds in the first three rounds. After the third round, you could only draft then 19 and 20-year-olds. So and you could draft an 18-year-old in round four through 12 if they would had played like four years of major junior already or a lot of experience in Europe and this and that. So Lidstrom was 18 years old. Krista Rockstrom, my Swedish scout, called me and said, there's this kid that's amazing that's in um, Vesteros. Um, he doesn't play much. Um, no, you know, he's he's not well known because they brought him up to the senior team, which is what they call the the team in the elite league, the Swedish elite league. Um, they brought him up from the junior team, but the coach likes older players, so he hardly plays them. I've gone and watched him at practice several times. He's really good. And and the, the older players on the team are telling me, this is Krister talking now, they're telling me that they can't get around him. They can't beat this kid. And he's really special. So I went over to Sweden, saw him play it several times, took him out for dinner at a pizza hut. <laughs> this is a, that's a true story because I wow. reminded him of that. I reminded Lidstrom <laughs> of that, that we went to pizza hut and uh, talked to him and um, and then came back and basically ordered everybody that you weren't allowed to bring his name up because they didn't want anybody to find out about him. Right. And uh, Central Scouting had him way, way, way down on the list because they didn't know him well. And so um, I, I we didn't talk about him and I begged Jimmy Devolano, the GM, to let me take him in the third round. I said, if you don't take him in the third round, Next year, you won't get him at all because he'll go in the first round because everybody will know about him after he's played in the World Junior Tournament. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I begged and begged. If I'd known he was going to be as good as he obviously ended up being, which nobody could possibly know, you know, I would have begged him to take him in the first round. But all I wanted to do was make sure we got him. And I knew if we took him in the third round, we actually would get him. So, um you know, it was just that he, he was a very mature kid. He was, he's very, I mean, he was, a, he was a mini model of what he was all those years in the NHL, just a solid player, you know, very different than Leach, for example, right? I mean, Lidstrom didn't play the way Leach played. He, he, he was, um, Lidstrom was, uh, in my mind, less flashy than Leach. He was, but more steady than Leach, if that's possible. He was, you know, he did amazing things. Uh, I don't think they were as startling as what Brian could do, but they were done all game long, every game type thing. So yeah. um, he was a very special player, and I'm very proud of him. He was a that was an amazing pick to 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 get him, and and one that was if all the picks I made in all the years in Detroit and all those years in New York. He would have been the one guy I could say was definitely the diamond in the rough, if you know what I mean. Like you found this guy, 
Nobody else knew about them and you took them. That's what people think scouts do and they don't really do that. The fact of the matter is all the guys that are drafted are somewhat diamonds and somewhat in the rough, but everybody knows they're there. And so it's all a matter of how do you rank them to decide, you know, who gets them. Um, there's very few players um, that uh, nobody knows about. There's some players that everybody knows about and nobody will give them the chance except for one guy does. And all of a sudden they're great. Like the Zuccarello seems like that to me, like, you know, all of a sudden he shows up, he's a good player in the NHL for the Rangers. Why didn't everybody else know about this guy? Um, yeah. Theo Fleury, who was a guy that nobody wanted back then. And they got taken late in the draft because he was so small. Um, Luke Robitaille got taken late in the draft because he couldn't skate. Um, I can go on and on. So there's these, um, and, and we all say the same thing in hockey, and that is, you know, if you knew he was going to be Luke Robitaille, you wouldn't have taken him in the, you know, seventh round. Right. You, you, you know, you thought there was a chance he might be there. The only thing I can say about picking guys in the draft, too, because the sad part is, is you get all the blame if you take a high pick and he doesn't work out. And so you get way too much blame if, if he doesn't work out. And you get um, probably too much credit when a low pick does work out because you know, the guy that you, you, you can only do so much research into a player. Um, the kid that I took in 99 there um, that scored 92 goals in the Western League. Um, do you remember that uh, first? Uh, took him like fourth in the draft. Um, and he never worked out uh, uh, for the Rangers. He never, he played a little bit, but not hardly at all. Um, they ended up trading him somewhere else and uh, after I left. But, you know, the guy scored 92 goals in the Western Hockey League in, in junior. You think he's going to be a good NHL player? Like, of course you do. Yeah. Um, but then there were players like um, Sergei Nemchinov that I took in the 12th round. And we knew he would play in the NHL. It's just nobody nobody else saw that. that we saw it. So, um, anyways, it's drafting is a um, is – a, is a, is a, a real art, but it's, you know, it's up to the GM at the end of the day, how you, who you, who and how you run the draft. And if the GM isn't in sync with the scouts, you're in, in you can be in trouble because for example, uh, Kovalev was um, obviously a great talent. I had seen him play, but you know, my scouts were telling me, you know, how great he was going to be. And and I had seen his potential. So I was on board with the scouts. And so we took him that year, 13th, I think it was in the draft, the highest a Russian had ever been picked. But you had to have the ball sort of thing to pick yeah. a Russian at that point and hope that he would get, you'd be able to get him out a year or two later. Um, a lot of teams just wouldn't do that. And so, the man, you know, the scouts could come back and say to the manager, we got to pick Kovalev and he'd be like, I'm not picking him. We may never get him, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas I was like, okay, yeah, let's try that. And without him, we don't win the cup. Right. I mean, so you can go on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Heck, I mean, that's still sometimes an issue with, with draft picks when they're playing over in Russia and they're already contracted over that they may not get him in, over for a couple of years. So it's funny how, even that's a very different geopolitical situation than it was then 
it's yeah. still it's kind of an issue sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's funny now. I I ran it. I I saw Sergey Nemchinov at a at an an, an event I was at just uh, maybe a month ago, and um, I asked him and his wife, "Where are you living now?" And he said, "In Moscow." And I, my face sort of dropped. I bet you he could see it because with this stuff going on in Ukraine. Yeah, it's so omnipresent in my mind all the time that when you say it, Moscow, I'm just like, and I've been to Moscow a number of times, but I'm just like, Moscow? Like, you know, and, and I, I said to him, how is it over there right now? Meaning like, you know, because it's it, like, it, if there's ever an evil empire right now on the face yeah. of the earth, it's Moscow, right? The, like the Kremlin is the evil yeah. empire. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it was different back then, and it's and it's who knows where this could go right now. Like, I would I'm surprised that um, the Russians uh, can even come here and work here. But yeah, you know, because you know, it seems so atro atrocious what's going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I know we're uh, uh, we're taking up a lot of time here, so I just want to get to. Uh, That's all right. A big question that that I have here, um, you know, you got criticized for trading the fan favorite in Zubov by many Rangers fans, um, and I, I've read that you have a different take on it than most fans are, are aware of. Could you kind of walk us through the reasoning for that decision? Well, let me let me say that you know, if if the if the fans have ever done rear view mirror uh, criticism, and also. Um, uh, hindsight is for is twenty twenty. Sure. This is a case. This is one of the cases because <laughs> nobody said a word back in the days when I had traded Sergey. Um, it wasn't until he went and won the cup in Dallas, and then went on to have great years in Dallas that everybody turned around and said, "Yeah, I loved him when he was with the Rangers. Why did they trade him?" You know. So that that trade, like. If that had been trade, if that had been criticized on the day that I did it, like, oh, you only got a Hall of Famer and Luke Robitaille, and you got the most hated defenseman in the league and all Samuelson, why did you trade Zubov? Right? If, if they had said that that day, okay, I, that's legit. But to say it later, you know, I mean, what? First of all, what more do you want for Zubov than a, a you know Hall of Fame player like Robitaille? Yeah. He went on to do great things in other places. It just didn't work in New York. Yeah. And Samuelson, who was a who we all, I mean, you had to love Samuelson. He was an absolute mm -hmm. menace. So here's what happened on that, though. So Sergey comes in, his rookie year, we win the cup. He's fantastic. No doubt about it. 95, the lockout year. We get knocked out by Philadelphia four straight. Sergey's is being run from every angle. You're running. You couldn't run Leach because Leach, he was tough enough. You could run Zuboff and scare him and get him off his game. So Colin Campbell said to me, you know, I, I don't know that we, how are we going to do this? And the other thing was I was on a committee that was going to try to get rid of um, obstruction. So the rule that came in, and you can look back on this and, and, and find this, we were they, they were telling the referees at the beginning of the 95-96 season that when the puck got dumped into the zone, the rules of today they were trying to implement them. So here, here's what here's what happens today. 
I'm coming down on the defenseman. I dump it into the corner. Today, the defenseman's not allowed to touch me, right? Yeah. He's okay. I can go pursue the puck. In the in the days when we won the cup, I come down on the defense, dump it into the corner. My defense partner blocks me out while the other defenseman goes back and gets the puck. Okay. So he obstructs you from being able to get into the zone. Well, if you're going to get rid of obstruction and you got Kevin Lowe and Zubov, and Kevin Lowe can't obstruct the player, Zubov is going to be scared out of his mind. He's going to get run all the time. So if, if you put into the equation those two things, you're thinking, wow, we got to get a little bit tougher back. You know, we can't have this happen back there because he, he won't be able to handle it. That's why that trade happened. Now, um, what happened was they never really uh instituted that no obstruction thing they did it for a little while and then they let it go back to the old way again and zuby was able to play great when you could have obstruction so he could go back and get the puck and do what he does he he's he's, a, he's masterful um and and so i want to tell you one great story though uh when sergey got uh named to the hall of fame i called him and I said, you know, I'm so proud of you. I was the first American, you know, I was the first guy he ever met from the NHL because I went over there in 91 and um, talked to him in, in Moscow and, and stuff. And I said, you know, I've taken so much shit for trading you. I said, of all the guys I've ever traded, I take the most shit for trading you. And he said to me, oh, well, Neil, those guys in Philly, they were just running me all the time. You had to do something. They, He said it himself. So... <clears throat> You know, I, which made me feel good. And I, really, I don't care about people being, you know, picking out one trade they didn't like in 11 years. Like, it's okay. But I can I can justify all the major trades I made except one. There's only yes. one trade that I would criticize Neil Smith for heavily. What is that? That's the trade for Marty McSorley and, and Yeri Curry for... Uh, Ian LaPerriere, uh, Nordstrom, and, and uh, I think Ferraro was in it, but that was a disaster. I mean, we traded for Marty McSorley. We got we beat Montreal in the first round, we lost to uh Pittsburgh in the second round. Um, uh, I got rid of Marty that summer. And Yeri Curry, I think, went and signed in Anaheim or something. Um, but and 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 Nordstrom went on to be the captain of LA for years, and LaPerriere was a good player for the rest of his career, which is what I thought they were going to be. But the truth of the matter is, on that one, our coaches weren't playing Nordstrom, so he was just sitting around all the time. And um uh, uh you know, I I I had two important players in Mess and Kevin Lowe telling me how we needed to be tougher. We needed to be tougher. We should try to get Marty. If we could get Marty, we could be, you know, tough enough against Philly. Because remember, we just gotten knocked out by Philly, who had the <laughs> who had the Legion of Doom line and all that stuff. So I made the trade and it was a disaster. I mean, that's the truth. I guess I admit to the bad ones, you know. And, yeah. But I, I don't. I I I have a good defense on the Zuboff trade. I love Sergei Zuboff. I think he was a great player. Um, 
but if you're in my shoes at that moment at that time uh you know you do what you think is is best and 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 again if you want to be really fair um uh, the team in in 96 i believe um ended up with the fifth best record in the league i think we didn't end in first place but i think we ended with the fifth best record and then the team in 97 went to the final four and got, you know, if you remember. Yeah. So, so in fairness, and, and then the other, the last piece I'll tell you about Zuba is I wonder if the Pittsburgh fans are all criticizing <laughs> their team because they had Zuba for a year and got rid yeah. of him to Dallas. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're right to do that. They're wrong too, because he obviously ended up being a good player, but um you know, it's just all the perspective on things. So, you know, he was on the cup team. So um, when he went on to be great somewhere else, then, you know, uh, you take the criticism, which is fine. It's all just, it's all part of it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you walking us through that. I, I think for a lot of fans, maybe not understanding the context with the, with the rule changes that were being proposed that you were aware of, and also just what had happened against Philly they don't take that into context and they just view, oh my God, we got rid of this amazing player. What awful decision. So uh, I definitely yeah. agree with the context. It makes a lot more sense. I appreciate you walking us through that. And and, and also don't, don't um, minimize uh, Luke Robitaille. Yeah. I mean, was a, was a hall of fame, easy yeah. hall of famer, went on to win a Stanley cup in Detroit. Yeah. Um, you know, had this, had a phenomenal career and, uh, um, I traded him back to LA because he asked me if I would because he wasn't it wasn't going well for him in New York, and I did that and he thanked me for doing that many many times. But um, you know it, you can't you can't bat a thousand. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. No, no. So one of the great trades though was the Messier trade. Um, no. Could you take us through that? Like, how did that happen? Well. You know, how did that come to be? Well, uh, 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 Mess won the cup, as you know, in 1990, my first year with the Rangers. And then the next year, 1991, they got knocked out by Minnesota. And he wanted a new contract because contracts were going up and his he was being underpaid. Um, and he had asked Glenn for a trade uh, or a new contract, and and Glenn was having trouble because people. Uh, it wasn't like Mess was um, obviously still in his heyday. People thought after five Stanley Cups and countless Canada Cups and you know a million games under his belt that. There must be something wrong here and that the way he played the game too is so physical that there must be something not right and could they afford his the what he would want and so glenn publicly said and my my mother kept this news clipping for years that the only one that would step up and, and do it was neil um and I knew we had to make a big change. We had gotten knocked out by Washington for the second straight year. Um, there was this great player available. I did my research on him, which um, 
and found out that there really was nothing hidden. Um, and, um, you know, we were able to work it out through that. The interesting part about Mess's trade was um, I was never sure that Glenn would really trade him to me. I, you know, I didn't know whether he was just BSing me the whole time or what he was yeah. doing. So I jumped in and signed Adam Graves away from Edmonton before we made the Messier trade. And Glenn was so pissed off at me for doing that. He said to some of the writers, like, maybe he doesn't even, maybe he doesn't want Mark, you know, maybe he, you know, and I said, and they, they said that to me. And I said, well, I, I, how can I ever even be sure that he was, that he's going to trade him to me? I said, at least I know I got Adam Graves, this kid that I know really well. Um, but as it turns out, he still traded him to me anyways, because I was the only, I was the only option he had. So, um, you know, it, it, it was a remarkable summer when you think of getting Graves and Messier at the same time, really. Um, although Graves, back then, nobody knew him and uh, nobody knew what he would be. Wow. Including me. Wow. Yeah. I, didn't know he I just knew he was a great player. So I, I just liked him as a kid. I didn't know he could, he would end up being, you know, number retired, uh, iconic player for the Rangers. Uh, and, Community best community guy ever, I, I would think in New York. Uh, uh, sort of what every every parent wants their kid to turn out to be is Adam Graves. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you've been so kind. Your kind. We got one question more for you. Uh, yeah. You and you and the current Rangers GM Chris Jerry kind of inherited a, a, a Rangers prospect system. In very similar ways, you know, when you came in, they had Richter, Lee, Jamonte already kind of in the cupboard, uh, and similar to what Drury uh, inherited. Obviously, you added with Kovalov and Shinov and a bunch of players we already spoke about. How do you think Drury has done so far in his short term or short tenure? Well, I, I think he's done. A, I think he's done a, a great job um, um, with with the time he's been there. I think he's. Um, I can't see uh, any flaws in in what he's done. To be honest with you, I, I uh, within the player personnel, I think that um, uh, and uh, hired Jerry Gallant, who I I know very well from my Detroit days, and um, right. is is a, yeah. is a really good uh, players coach. Um, he uh, uh, I think added some great pieces. Uh, I, I I I think the jury. Not the jury. The jury <laughs> shouldn't be out on uh, Tarasenko <laughs> until we see how the season ends. You know how the playoffs <clears> end. <throat> Tarasenko won't be there next year. He'll be definitely gone. They don't have room to sign him, and um, and that. So I'm not sure about that trade. But I'm not gonna. You can't again. It's like any GM. You know, you try your best. You th that's a guy that's available. You do your research and you and you try to bolster your team I, so in my opinion he's done as good a job as he could do to this point and and yeah what, what more can you say than that i mean he's yeah uh, we all inherit different situations and you can't really compare uh neil smith and chris drury because we have different rules you know yeah. and that's why we, can't, we really can't compare you know um adam fox and Bobby Orr, let's say, totally different rules, totally different area. Yeah. 
uh, even Brian Leach and Adam Fox, it's they're they're really hard to compare because it's two different eras. I, I will tell you, I'm a big fan of Adam Fox. I think he's a great player for the Rangers, and um, I, uh, I I like a lot of the players the Rangers have. I, I really do. I like uh, I like Zabinijad. Um, uh, you know, he uh, I like everything about him. I, I you know he, he's. Uh, I love his demeanor that he is, um, you never see him get too high, you never see him laughing or, or, or really celebrating beyond uh, a simple stick up in the air or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's, uh, he's, he's a really, a really awesome guy, a, a player. Um, you know, I, I, Kreider is obviously today's Adam Graves uh, to some extent. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, They've got Panarin is today's Kovalev, I guess, it, to some degree. You know, um, uh, I think that they got, you know, they've got some some really good pieces there. I, obviously, uh, uh, Shesterkin is Mike Richter, Henrik Lundqvist, whatever you want to say, and, and is phenomenal. He's uh, phenomenal. Truba is um, tr really, really, Truba is um, a... Um, a sort of a messier of defensemen, like he's, mm -hmm. you know, um, he he's he's a good leader in my opinion from the outside looking in. I don't know him at all. I never said hello to him. I don't think, but um, the way that he steps up physically for the team um, is leadership in itself, and I think that's been uh, been well seen. So I mean, I'm 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 really. Uh, I really like, uh, you know, some of their some of their players and where they'll where they'll end up gelling together and how far they can go, you know, is is anybody's guess. It's you can't say one way or the other, you know, because they've uh, uh, they, it was it's been impressive though. I mean, to go into Edmonton and Calgary, um, you know, and play the way they played back to back games out there in Alberta is is really impressive for them. So. Um, we'll yeah. see see how see how they how they go. It's uh, as I said, it's it's really hard to compare my teams and today's teams because there's a whole different set of rules. And uh, yeah, my, my opinion is um, that uh, Drury has done as good a job as you can do in you know with this team. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, this team is like promising. It's definitely. I, I, I don't remember like the last time I've been excited. Uh, obviously, I would I wasn't alive in 1994, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 definitely been a while since I've been this excited. Um, yeah, no, it's a they they got they got a they got a real good team, and I think they could. Um, you know, I I personally think there's still a couple of pieces away from you know the ultimate of being like Colorado was last year, a dominant team. Yeah. Tampa was two years ago, and I don't know who it is this year. I mean, if, if I had to say this year, I guess I would have to say Boston because um, they seem to be the most com complete team, um, although lately they've been sort of shaky, uh, you know, win one, lose one, lose to Washington at home, which was a shocker, uh, um you know, but every every uh, good team goes through that, so it's it's going to be interesting. I think the East 
is a lot stronger than the West. As I think the yeah. cup winner is probably going to come out of the the East this year and not out of the not out of the West. Yeah, I agree. And also, like the thing is, is that the person coming out of the East, it's it's probably going to be more wear down by the time the Stanley Cup Finals happen than the Western. But I, I don't know how much of a factor that would play in. But yeah. You know, it, it it does if you're injured, if you have injuries, uh, but not once you get to the final. Your your adrenaline is so high that you'll play through anything, and and uh, but you can't play if you're on the sidelines if you're hurt. Um, but I just don't see a team out west. Last year, all year, I was saying Colorado was going to win it, and I just don't see a team this year. I, I liked Winnipeg for a while. Um, Vegas, I don't think has the goaltending and, and they don't have all the pieces they need. I, I think Carolina is really good. Carolina could do it. Um, yeah. You know, depending on how Boston was. One of the tricky parts about the league today that I don't like is, um, for example, Toronto is going to end up facing Tampa Bay again. Yeah. Because, yeah. To, because if you're second or third in your division, you, you, you've got to play in your division, you know? Yeah. And, and, I don't really, I don't really like that. Like, I think that if you're the, you know, if, if you have that many points, you shouldn't be knocking out teams that are that good that early. You know? You, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the team like for Tampa or Toronto to go out in the first round this year is, um, you know, it, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, you, it's, it's like, even with New York, I don't know who I haven't looked at it from that perspective, but I don't know who the Rangers will most likely play in the first round. Is that like sort the Devils, of, I think, right now. The Devils. Okay, so that's another good example. The Devils are having this amazing season. Yeah, uh, I'm just just amazing, and um, you know, we didn't see it coming. We saw the Rangers coming because of last year, right? We didn't see the Devils coming. I didn't, and. Now, after all this and all the hopes that are so high for the Ranger fans, all the hopes that are so high for the Devils fans, and one of them's going to get knocked out in the first round. Right. And so, so they yeah. will look from the season not having been successful, when really, it was a successful year. It's just that somebody had to lose. You know, one team had to lose. So, um, anyway, I've kept you guys long enough. Oh no no we've kept you <laughs> long enough. we've kept you way <laughs> yeah no honestly uh I, I mean uh yeah Berkey here wasn't alive I was alive in '94 watching in fact my my cousin was Greg Adams and he was playing you know for the Canucks and I was still cheering for the New York Rangers in 1994 oh, wow. uh because yeah. that's how much because actually my uncle was a trainer and a scout for the Rangers back in the 80s uh, a little before your time um well, so well, what was a, it what what was his name maybe I knew him uh Jerry Maloney. Uh, he was known as Haggy because he was he he resembled another previous trainer named Haggy, so he, his nickname was. Yeah, Haggy. I think I think I think I remember the name. I do remember the name. Actually, yeah. I have a I have a picture of him right right here of this. Picture. Oh yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you remember Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, thank he, you so much, Neil. It was. I mean, we we can't thank you enough for coming on, taking as much time as you did. Um, it was it was an it was really an honor. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Good uh, and 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 good luck with the podcast, guys. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. See ya. Thank you. Right, thank you. Have a good one.